Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Zero to 10 podcast, where we focus on helping B2B businesses grow from zero to 10 million. This is the show for CEOs, startup founders, business owners, and aspiring business owners. This podcast is the intersection of strategies, tactics, trends, and even a little inspiration. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. In this episode, I welcome Valerie Trent to the podcast. Valerie is the founder and CEO of LeeLondon.com. Lee London is a marketplace and community focused on bringing better tech products into the hands of women. Valerie is one of the three founders and business owners that we'll be following on their growth journeys. In episode 117, if you recall, I spoke with Jonathan Gandalf, who just launched his company, The Juice. Valerie's a little further along as she's already pivoted a couple of times. The initial concept was creating physical products for women, which she did have some success. Nordstrom's was even one of her first customers, but she realized it wasn't as scalable as she wanted. She pivoted to a marketplace and that's where she is today. She shares her hustle journey, the origin story, you know, how she got going, managed everything, especially not knowing anything about a manufacturing process and how she balances everything as an early stage owner and shares with us some of the upcoming challenges and the opportunities for her. And, and shares with us how she's approaching it. This is a very insightful conversation, which I think you will find really interesting. I'm looking forward to our future follow-up conversations with Valerie. At the end of this, please make sure you visit our website where you can find the show notes plus the links mentioned with Valerie in this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify so you're always the first to know when a new episode is released. Now, let's get the interview started. Good morning, Valerie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you and I appreciate the flexibility. I know I had a couple of scheduling issues, so it, it's great to have you on. Before we get in kind of the, the meat of the matter today, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today? Sure. So I have a background in design. I went to school. I grew up in Tennessee and Nashville and went to undergrad at the University of Tennessee for interior design and really ended up in that kind of pipeline in my young corporate life, practicing as an interior designer at a commercial firm, which is really what most people will think of as architecture, but you learn process and framework, right? And, and how to work on a team. And then jumped to leading a team, being a furniture broker. And then next I was a materials, like very consultant. So really helped a multi-billion dollar company out of Europe figure out their details and make sure they're selling exactly the right product to exactly the right people. So a diverse background. And then four years ago, kind of jumped ship and started Lee London. Awesome. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And it's so interesting with your background. Did you ever think you were going to become an entrepreneur or was it just something that was calling you? What was, so let's start with that to see where and how initially. How, how did this come to yeah. I am one of those who thinks that I was born an entrepreneur. I think that I, I'm looking back, I just didn't know how to articulate it. So it wasn't scary to me to kind of jump from the corporate world. It was kind of, it was really natural. And when a lot of friends and family were thinking, wow, you're really brave or you're really crazy for, you know, having this really cushy job, <laughs> really great company and 
like I kind of lived that out, right? And and take the easy road, but it it was that seemed actually more stringent to me than having the freedom to create what I just didn't see existed over and over again in the world. And so to me, I I take that path of like it being an entrepreneur always was natural and I knew that it was always going to happen. It was just a matter of kind of connecting the dots and the stars aligning and making sure going out on my own was like the right timing. Yeah. But is there ever right timing? It seems like there's <laughs> never a perfect time, but there's no better time than the present, right? <laughs> so so let's why don't you share with the audience a little bit about Lee London, your company, and then I want to get into kind of the original idea for what how did that happen? But for a little bit of background, why don't you just share what what you've built? Well, four years ago, we'll get into the purpose, but I jumped from the corporate world and started with webcam recover. I looked at webcam covers in the market that were plastic or wouldn't close to my MacBook Air which is as a, as a young female adult, that's who hackers are watching. <laughs> and young female adults have MacBook Airs, right? And so my MacBook Air wouldn't close. They weren't, the, the covers that exist were sticky notes, which gunk up your camera, or they weren't cute. Or frankly, they just weren't sold in the right, in the right way, right? They had like scary graphics on their packaging and, and were sold in these very transactional channels. And I thought, well, Young women, the, the, the customers shop at Nordstrom's and Francesca's and these much more like female-oriented brands. And so I wanted to start a female-oriented brand and started with the webcam cover. And within a year, I, I knew nothing about the industry as most entrepreneurs. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I happened to be the customer. That was it. But I jumped and patented, like engineered the product. Um, and then which is made out of stainless steel. There's a lot more engineering and tight tolerances when you're working with less than a millimeter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And anyways, and then patented the product and got it to market and sold thousands on my own. Nordstrom picked me up pretty immediately or picked Lee London up pretty immediately. But then there's a cash flow issue, right? So, uh, but before we go there, I'm just super curious because you made that sound so simple, but it, it couldn't have been that simple. Right. So when you're talking about a cover, is it a full laptop cover or just something that covers the camera? Great question. It is, it covers the camera, but there's two pieces and they, one piece sticks onto the camera. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's permanent, but it doesn't hurt your laptop if for whatever reason you need to take it off. And then the, okay. the top, the slide on top, it slides back and forth so you can easily open and close it on top of your camera. Um, but then it also completely pops off. So if you wanted to switch the graphics, you can get a new top and switch them. So seasonal or, you know, during football season, if you want to have a certain logo on your laptop. Or, personalized, right? Um, personalize it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it had to be really hard, aka made out of stainless steel, and but also really, really small. So that's what made the engineering harder. Yeah, that's it's interesting because one, I always appreciate people and their creativity because I'm more execution than I am the, you know, hey, here's a problem. How do we design it and go build it and have that? So just conceptually, you had an idea, you weren't seeing what you liked out there and said, hey, this is what I want to build. And then did you go, obviously, you found somebody to build this for you or sourced it? And again, oh, did you yeah. have connections in that space or were you just learning <laughs> yeah. as you were going? That's a great question. So, First, I bought a 3D printer. 
no kidding, okay. <laughs> and trying to teach myself how to 3D print products from the pretty non-robust software. And that wasn't working so well. And so I found a community in Chicago, which was filled with a lot of engineers. And, and that helped a lot is because it made me realize I could do the drawings, right? I could make a product in 3D to send to a manufacturer to get price. But it helped kind of understanding the engineering and manufacturing limitations by just okay. using the human resources around me. And um, so they helped quite a bit. And then I actually really wanted to make the product 100% in the U.S. and vetted. I, I searched long hours of filling out a spreadsheet of 60 manufacturers that I tried wow. in the U.S. to find who can make the tight, these tight tolerances. And they just couldn't do the quantities or the um, the engineering. They couldn't. Yeah. And so I had to go overseas for the base. But yeah, it was just kind of like one step at a time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you were still, this was still technically was a side hustle for you at that point, right? So you were still had your day job and you were working on this at all hours of the night and weekends? Well, somewhere in the middle of there, I left my day job, but okay. I was helping others as well. So we're all, as you know, like wired differently. And and I, because I was surrounded by a lot of engineers, a lot of times engineers are brilliant and great at the details, but a lot of times they're building products and not thinking about the marketability of the product yeah, and not thinking sense. about the consumer use and would the consumer actually like it. And so I actually, when I started there, surrounded by a bunch of engineer, male engineers that have been doing their job in, in product manufacturing for decades. Right. And I learned later they were taking bets against me oh. and then within a couple months. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was a designer that had never been in the industry. And within a couple of months, they realized that I was making some headway and started paying me for my, <laughs> for my oh interesting okay right my project management so it was a good pairing frankly it was a really i think it was really a, a great kind of learning opportunity for all of us yeah you know i i get it man there's there's i want to say it's the doers right there's the visionaries and there's the execution folks and yeah you do have to have that right team to fill in the gaps of weakness because some folks will say no work on building out your 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 weakness work on your weaknesses and i tend to say you know focus on your strengths you can always find somebody to compliment you where you may be weak so so interesting all right so you've got the design idea you finally obviously found a manufacturer and at this point i mean how did you have customers yet where i'm just super fascinated I, by it. great lesson learned is I didn't have customers yet because I was nervous about telling everybody about my product because of proprietary issues. I was like, this is easily copied, holding it close, you know, as close as possible. The idea, in fact, I had a couple of people seemingly take my idea and, and present it to big re retailers on their own. But so I was smart for kind of holding it close to me, but at the same time, the big lesson here is actually you should just start getting customers before you start, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the <laughs> best. <laughs> right, right. And so, and I, I think another reason why I was hesitant is because I hadn't done it before, right? I didn't right. know what the, you know, if a large retailer had asked me for 10,000 units and I literally didn't know how it was going to be made, that would be a problem. Small <laughs> problem. Yeah, I had yeah, to do yeah. everything sequentially. And, um, it took a long time and, and hardware 
you can't send an update right later. You have to get it right the first time. And every little detail, and it can be tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars mistake. So as a first time entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur in an industry that you can't make a mistake the first time, I just had to go slow and steady and make sure I got all the Yes. Yeah. So you had prototypes built, then you went and approached retail or uh, yeah, retailers. Cause you were, do you make the decision to go, you wanted to go through retailers, not direct to consumer at that point? Just curious why, why the why did you choose the path you did? And then how did you get in front of some of these first customers? <laughs> well, before I mass manufactured, I did do like 200 prototypes. I beta tested them with women around the country to get some basic data. I knew I'd need that if I was going to, I wanted those contacts on my side for one thing, sure. and just hammer out any last issues with the product and the marketing and logistics and frankly, the website as well. <laughs> so yeah, true. And then once that kind of came back, I knew I was as close as I possibly could to quote unquote perfection with the product and found my manufacturer, ordered it. You have to get tooling that takes a long time. So a lot of it was kind of waiting, right? And yeah. then one of the reasons why I decided once it was ready, you know, we're packaged and ready to get to market. One of the reasons why I decided to go to the large retailers rather than individuals is because of the minimum manufacturing quantity. Got it. Um, okay. In the U.S., it tends to be 50,000, 100,000 units. And even if your widget costs a dollar, that's a lot for a startup to risk sure. um, without funding, right? When you're bootstrapping. And so even overseas, their minimums tend to be a lot smaller. So I found a manufacturer that they could make 5,000 of the units. That means, well, if I have 5,000, it's a lot better to get one PO from one large <laughs> sell that yeah. and um then to try to sell them individually so was nordstrom's your first customer then well yeah absolutely yeah okay. actually i was resourceful again i i used my contacts and i tried to find buyers in the retailers i wanted to to tackle and i found a head buyer at nordstrom and we had seven or eight contacts in common on linkedin and i i cold called her and sent our samples and explained, you know, what the mission was. And the next thing I know, I was getting POs. So old school way, right? Yeah, no, but I think that's what... Like use your authenticity, use your, you know, vision and your and your human resources and then we'll open doors. Yeah, I think you have to, right? If you're going to be successful. Yeah, because I do see some folks that like to say, well, I'm going to bring... We're close to concepts there. We're going to go bring sales folks in to do it. I'm, I'm much more... A fan of the path that you took. Hey, I'm going to go sell this myself. So I'm going to get the feedback. One, your passion for it is going to help put people over the top when they you don't have a track record in this product, right? Or it hasn't been sold before. So they're they're betting on you as part of that process. So no, I I love it. And going straight to you know one of the big brands is is fantastic. So. So kind of from the idea you had and you started researching with some of your engineer folks at the time that PO came from Nordstrom's, how long, how long was that? Well, the idea had actually came to me years before, but I would say the actual process from me, you know, starting an LLC and starting prototyping to getting the PO was about a year. 
okay. almost a decade here. I mean, that's not short, but it's I've heard longer, longer, longer tales of, of trying to make that happen. So yeah. manufacturing okay. alone, once the product was designed and patented and were prototyped and beta tested, manufacturing alone, just waiting on the tooling to be made and the products to be made for those out there that are interested in making hard products, it, that alone was six months. And then contacting buyers, like they're not going to immediately get back to you. They'll get back to you a week or two or months later. Yeah, so, yeah, if ever. Um, in some it's a long time. <laughs> yeah, oh, interesting. All right, so what's so now you got Nordstrom's things are are looking good. What's uh, what happened next? Well, um, first and foremost, I learned about like logistics. You know, when you when you're with a huge a large retailer there's a gajillion and 12 rules <laughs> so oh, yeah. I pack it and i didn't have a logistics team or a packing team and so that was interesting as well so for any anybody that's looking at doing hardware on themselves and not having a pick and pack team then recognize there's a lot of rules and and idiosyncrasies you've got to work out. And then I learned and understood how retail payments work. Oh, and typically, they'll pay you 30 days after shipping, maybe 45, maybe 60, depending on their leverage and your negotiation. And even after that, I happened to be at a time where Nordstrom's was, was changing their internal system. And so payments were going to be coming later and later. Oh, and wow. Later. And I, so basically, you're footing, were you footing this all yourself and funding yourself? Wow. Yes, yeah, that puts exactly. some serious stress. All bootstrapped. And I'm looking okay. at, okay, I might get paid in three months. I might get, you know, and I, on a personal level, I'm not 18 years old and <laughs> living out of my parents' garage. And so, you know, I had a mortgage. And so I was like, all right. And, you know, you look left and right and you go, how do, what do I do? How do I scramble? How do I figure right. this out? And so I, I had to put Lee London a little bit on hold. Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So are you still making these today? Is this still part of the offering? Okay. Fascinating. Yes. So okay. what covers, um, I still, I mean, t- four years later, still sell to Nordstrom seasonally. I didn't expand the sales because I had to scramble and make another business. But yeah, I still sell the webcam recovers seasonally and or on the website now every day. Yeah, we'll, well, I'll make sure we link, we'll link to it in the, the show notes and everything. People can, can go take a look at this. And oh, it's fascinating. So I, that's what I kind of like about not drilling in too deep before our interviews, because I wasn't sure where this path is going. So you still had the manufacturing, but then you had the idea or the necessity to create another company or within the same brand. Why don't you go into a little bit more detail there and how how that evolved? At the, towards the very end, I'll back up a little bit. Before I had sales and the product wasn't quite available in the market, I ended up flying over to China, where 90% of our products are made, and looking for more products that I could sell and sourcing more products that Lee London could represent or tinker, better engineer and sell. And that was another great lesson learned because it, I essentially realized kind of in this process between China and the next few months with the tight runway, that, okay, something's not working, cash flow is not working, something needs to be streamlined here. And the original dream had been really to make a manufacturer 
that represents products that are sometimes underbranded or not correctly made for women. And I had started with the webcam recoveries because that's what I could bootstrap and afford myself. And that was an immediate need that I saw I could, I could, I could make and sell. But it taught the the what I now call the beta company, which is essentially this process of making the webcam recoveries. It was a phenomenal lesson in the sense that I realized how expensive it is to become a, basically a manufacturer, to, to make, to design and create products. So again, couldn't articulate that at the time, but I ended up kind of scrambling and, and paying my mortgage in other ways, being a, a project manager for other startups, going back into design, not product design, but space design, interior design for my own, for myself. But time will teach you a lot. And fast forward about two and a half years, an entrepreneur always wants to solve the, the problem that they found. Yeah. And the problem was still gnawing at me, even though the idea was kind of on ice at this point. I knew something wasn't working with that manufacturing approach. And so luckily, I went into a Sephora and I was standing around and I realized this is what this is going to solve the problem that I really wanted to solve initially. But I don't have to make all in Sephora's perspective, the makeup, right? right. Sephora highly curates beauty and health products and they do a phenomenal job at it they make they give you the experience online and in person what you want and so that is what we london needs to be is a, is more of a marketplace of highly curated from a female perspective the right tech products that's where we restart <laughs> uh, no i mean i think it's a super interesting and cool right because again you were passionate about and that's what i tell founders or even business owners and it, it's you can't be necessarily married to how you're solving the problem. You have to be married to the problem that you're solving. And, you know, it's going to take iterations and pivots until you figure out, you know, what is the best way to do it. So, no, that's really interesting. So, figuring out how to manufacture something to, hey, now we can go curate product and solutions, right, for the group. So, how did you... What were some of the first things you did when you decided I'm going to make that pivot? So you had the aha moment in Sephora and said, hey, this is what I want to do. You know, what was kind of walk us through the next steps that you took that from an idea to a business? Oh, I did a lot of things at first. I well, I immediately thought, which was probably incorrect, but I immediately thought, okay, I need to raise money because <laughs> Who can who can buy and wholesale products without substantial cash? Because you need to buy in bulk. And so I thought, well, okay, if I was a VC or an angel, why would I invest in me? And what are the niches that I can fill as fast as possible? And I looked for advisors and I looked for interns, a team, right? That filled all the holes that I didn't have. And then, okay, let's start building this. Let's change, you know, update the website. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> website again. <laughs> Let's start making a community, building that email list and proving traction. What are the products that we want to sell? How do we categorize them? How do we prioritize them? So the past six or eight months has been a lot of that. A lot of also learning about investments and if it's a good time and when is a good time and who's the right investor partner. Yeah. Plus you're probably a little... uh 
I want to say shell shock's not the right word, but from the the capital required from a manufacturing standpoint, right? I'm sure that would, you know, weigh on me as I'm looking to pivot and change directions. Do I want to bootstrap and you know finance this all again myself? So yeah, so, so that process. And then how did you? Well, again, from an idea, did you reach out to manufacturers? Are you working directly with these companies, or say, hey, we like these companies, we're just going to showcase them? How does? Why don't you explain to the audience how how the model works today, right? And maybe how it's maybe a little bit different than it was even a, a few months ago. Yeah, so it's it's similar to getting into Nordstrom's, so just reaching out to manufacturers individually and saying we want to work, we want to work with you, we want to that you're right for our audience. And a lot of times it's smaller manufacturers where they're underbranded or undermarketed. They have great products, but not the voice that they need or not the audience that they need. And they need us just as much as we need them. I don't want to be Nordstrom is I have nothing but great things to say about them. They're a phenomenal company and partner. But I think growing with your working partners and I like the genuine, you know, I, I like the idea that I can I can talk to any of my contacts yeah. uh, with with the manufacturer partners. Yeah. So this is and as I'm going through your website again, it's it's the so there's a, a ton of SKUs. Right. So you've gone from a manufacturing vision of, hey, I can source and build this to now, and I'm almost becoming an e-commerce, online e-commerce business. That's completely different. Very different. <laughs> so is this self-taught again or? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, expert generalist is a good <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of uh, coding in there that I didn't know before. I never thought I'd have to learn. Um, there's a, yeah, all sorts of, of knowledge, but it, yes, it is. It's definitely e-commerce business. And, and the challenge in e-commerce I see today is so many e-commerce businesses are transactional and they're not yeah. and they're not authentic. And the, the value of having more than just, for lack of a better term, like cheap product in front of you or pushed. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate, and I think the older I get, my peers appreciate it, right? Like, and then also, I think COVID has kind of put a magnifying glass on how much we like that kind of interpersonal connection, even with our brands. I'd rather shop at a place where I know the owners or I I feel I understand what they stand for than at another commoditized e-commerce platform. Yeah, no, and that's what I really liked about your story and why I wanted to have you on here is because you aren't just pushing product, right? You are building a community, right? And if you go to the website, which anybody's following along, it's just leelondon.com, L-E-E, london.com and, and take a look. And because you do have, obviously the products are there, but the website's really well done. And then you've got articles. So you are building, I think, which is the modern way to build these businesses is to build a community where, where folks Right, need more than just a product, right? You can go to Amazon and search for a product, but yeah, how do I get Amazon's really has their laurels from efficiency, and I would rather have trust. Yeah, (laughs) rather I would rather. I mean, women don't buy technology for technology for gadgets; they buy technology to solve problems. I'd like for this community to be a place of like, okay, how do I solve this problem? You know, does Lee London have it? And also. You mentioned the articles. Lots of e-commerce places have blogs. They buy blogs, repost them. The articles are 
again, like actually <laughs> legitimate, well-researched journalism and opinion pieces, because there's a huge gap in, we talked about this earlier before, Brett, but big tech oftentimes will, will present or come to market with items that I can tell you your average housewife is not going to buy or frankly doesn't really care about it. And a lot of times it's just it's terminology that's not um, regularly talked of, uh, around women, even very well educated women. They don't talk about AI. They don't talk about IoT. Their husband got them the Alexa and they're like, OK, right. <laughs> yeah. no, you're right. Yeah. Right. And yet women have 80 percent of household buying power. And so more and more of our products are becoming technology driven. And yet there's this gap of like, why does lithium matter? Right. Like, yeah. well, it matters because lithium ions actually are really efficient, make batteries really efficient and batteries are in everything. Right. And so there's this knowledge gap that we're also trying to fill through adding value in our articles. So they're genuinely great articles. <laughs> they will teach you like what's the dark web and um, should you be concerned with uh, kids in the home and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do uh, appreciate, again, the journey. And, you know, as we, we talked a little bit offline and you know, I'll share when we, we I actually record the intro for this is, you know, you're letting us come along for the ride. So we're going to, this is kind of our first first step with you and, you know, kind of the backstory where you're at today. And every, every couple of months, we're going to bring you back and, and talk about the journey and, and how it's progressing, right? The good, the bad, hopefully it's mostly good, but I mean, as anybody knows who runs a business, it's not always going to be all good. So, but before we kind of wrap up this section, the one other thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on is the marketplace that you're creating, right? So when you think about it, the manufacturing, you're selling to retailers, maybe to direct. It's one-sided, right? But what you're doing here is working with the, the business to B2B side with the, you know, the products and all that good stuff. But then on the other side, you also have to have the your audience, right? The consumers and do it. So you're really battling. Battling is not the right word. Maybe it is, <laughs> right? Building two almost two businesses, which, you know. So I'm just kind of curious your your thoughts so far on you know the challenges and if you get it right it's it's going to be you know phenomenal but just the, and how you approach the two are, are very different which I'm guessing you're seeing so uh, that was really long I don't even know if I asked you a question but maybe share your kind of the experience so far with this type of a marketplace model and you know anything you would have done different earlier or are we still too early in the process to to see. Well, I think you learn a lot about yourself when, when you're an entrepreneur and your team members do too, right? And so I have learned that I do things well sequentially, <laughs> not <laughs> all at once. Success happens when you focus on less rather than more. <laughs> and so I personally try to folk, like put a day where I'm focusing on maybe, you know, the backside of the business and then a day where I'm focusing on the front side of the business which is not, you know, the most eloquent, you know, business, business <laughs> answer. But I think that it's important that, you know, if I was trying to build both sides at once all the time, you know, I would get overwhelmed. And so another, I will say another way is team members, right? They're team members that are 95% of what they do is building a front side of business and right. team members that 95% of businesses building the backside of business and they're comfortable there. 
you know, as they should be. So I think we're working on highlighting and, and using those self-awareness tools. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah, right people, right, right role, right? And focused on areas and because you can't be all places all the time. So <laughs> even though it feels like you have to be sometimes, yeah. but yeah. okay, well, that's awesome. But I, I promise I won't ask you each time we have it on, but I do need to ask you the one question that I've asked everybody that's been on the show is what is one thing that you would highly recommend? It could be professional, it could be personal. You know, what's something that you're focused on today you think others should be as well? I would say always be selling, always be selling. And people say that all the time. But even if you're worried about if you're if you haven't started out or if you're really early on, don't be nervous about people stealing your idea. They're not going to be. (laughs) They don't have time. They're not as passionate about it. You will gain a lot more from selling your product or your vision to others than by keeping, you know, tight. No, that's really good advice. You're right. Because this day and age, it is all about execution, right? And if and if you're worried somebody's going to take your idea then and be able to execute better against it than you are, then maybe this won't be the right business for you just because, but it's hard. I get it, man. There's a, it took me a long time to realize to uh, not, not everybody's out to steal your ideas. There are, you do have to be careful to your point when you're working on some patented stuff, but in, in general, I a hundred percent agree with you. Just be selling, be out there, create the awareness and, and focus on the execution. So no, that's good. I like that. And any, like I said, we will put in the show notes, right? All your contact info. And if people do want to reach out to you today, what's the, the best way for, for them to find you? The website, leelondon.com. Check out the website or DM me. Our Instagram and Facebook is Lee London Design and our Twitter is Lee London Co. And then you can find me on LinkedIn, Valerie Trent. I'm in still based in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for part two of the, uh, right. of the journey here. So we'll, we'll tease it a little bit. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for, for joining me today to talk about this and, and sharing the journey. I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where it goes. And we'll, we'll be back with you in, like I said, two to three months to, to get an update. All right. Thanks, Brett. Thanks. Have a good day.